Welcome to episode 206 of the Various Assembly Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is still recovering from his office Christmas party, John Scott Sloat. You know, I was at the office Christmas party and was told by a colleague who shall remain nameless, uh, that more people get fired because of their offers Christmas party <laughs> than any other event throughout the year. Yeah, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. I can believe that. And I looked at this person and I said, I don't think that's going to be a problem here. I, I, I would hope not, especially since this is an event that happened over lunch on a Monday. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> If it did, that would have been a real problem. Yeah, this is not like a Saturday evening at some private banquet hall event mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or in the lobby of your building. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, this this is not that. So, yeah, I mean, what did it consist of? Did you go out somewhere for lunch? Was it catered in? Like Catered what? in lunch, uh, gift exchange, and- uh, Like a, regular gift exchange or white elephant gift exchange? It was like a secret Santa. Okay. Um, so fifteen dollar limit, pretty small, mm-hmm. and then uh, a smattering of desserts. Okay, and so different people made different desserts. All right, and what did you contribute to the desserts? I made a lemon cream pie. Okay, and my my reasoning is, it's a summery. It's, it's lemon cream is definitely a summer dessert. Yeah, and I'm zigging when everybody else is zagging. Okay. I see. You're playing chess when other people are playing checkers. That's right. That's right. There were a lot of chocolate, a <laughs> lot of peppermint. There was a cheesecake. Yeah. Very wintry desserts. Classic. I went very summery, and it's refreshing. I see. Because everybody longs for summer, Matt. <laughs> they all want it. That's true, especially around here. It's mm-hmm. certainly turned cold. Well, we haven't seen the sun in six weeks. Ah, who needs the sun, right? Just a couple extra vitamin D pills yeah. and uh... – <laughs> cup of OJ. And... It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube. All right, John, let's jump right into the sports. You ready? Sure. So uh, this is, in one sense, the first weekend where we didn't have – uh, college football. Now, the caveat to that is that we did have the Army-Navy game. I don't know if you caught any of that. Uh, I saw it on Twitter okay. that, that it was going on. And there were the awards. Mm-hmm. And so you had um, uh, Jaden Daniels of LSU, the quarterback, winning the Heisman Trophy. Okay. And uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. finishing fourth. And uh, But he did win the Bolitnikoff Award. Okay. Given to the best wide receiver in college football. Okay. So, uh, and but honestly, probably the biggest news is more just the craziness of the transfer portal. It's a new era of college football with the transfer portal. A bunch of people are entering it. I think I saw a stat that said, based on the number, like just the pure number of players who've entered the transfer portal. Now, this doesn't apply to positions, but just pure numbers. You could fill out 16 full rosters with the number of players that have entered the transfer portal. Now, I did see something that six of the last eight Heisman Trophy winners have all been transfers. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. That's pretty wild. It is. It is. 
Um, but it, it is crazy to think how much the game of college football has changed in the past five years. Just to give you a benchmark here, with with the advent of of the transfer portal, basically meaning you can transfer to another school and your former school can't restrict where you're going and you are immediately eligible. It didn't used to be that way. Right. There used to be a year. A, a year? year. You had to sit out a year before you could play at the next school. Now it's immediate and now there can be no – like you can't place limits on where somebody goes. Coaches in one sense used to be able to somehow limit – like where a kid could transfer, basically. That's pretty wild to me. We don't want you in our conference, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and before the advent of the name, image, likeness money, that is now just you know overwhelming. Uh, the I think it was the Nebraska coach basically said to get a cor- a good quarterback in the transfer portal. You're going to have to pay them between one and two million dollars in NIL. How is this college football anymore? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it still is. It's probably just a little. It's a lesser version of, of professional football. Then. It, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just it's it's absolutely insane. Just five years ago, when Justin Fields transferred from Georgia to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. He had to get a special waiver from the NCAA to be immediately eligible. It was granted because there was some sort of racial incident that involved him or maybe his sister or something like that. There, there was something. Down in Athens? Yeah. Hmm. And that was 2019. Wow. He, his first year at Ohio State was 2019. Doesn't 2019 feel like a different world? Yes. Yeah. So much has changed. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So in any case, there's all this, you know, movement and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I I just don't recognize, you know, it's not college coaches. Not only are you out there recruiting high school kids, you have to go into the portal and and have, and try to recruit potential transfers that will help your team. And you have to continually recruit your own players to keep them there. Yeah. Like, who wants that job? I know they pay them, like, obscene amounts of money. A lot of money. But I I find myself thinking, if you could coach in the NFL, wouldn't you rather do that? Oh, yeah. You at least have a contract with them. You have a – like, yeah, you have contracts. You're not out there recruiting. You're not out there talking to 16-year-old kids. Trying to convince them that your school is going to be a better fit for them, you know, you're not yeah. doing that. Like, the more they change college football, the more I think, why is that more attractive in terms of coaching than going to the NFL? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they're it's good for the players, right? I mean, they're they're making money when they weren't making money before. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think we can make an argument that that's that level of money is more harmful to a young man than helpful. Here's a crazy stat. Travion Henderson, running back for Ohio State. Okay. He is currently making more in NIL than he would make going into the NFL as probably a second or maybe third round draft pick. Yeah, I believe it. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can only play four years, right? Well, if you're in the COVID realm, you get five. 
because everybody gets the extra year. Okay, but we're almost out of that. Getting there. Getting there. But um, here's the bottom line. The NCAA absolutely dropped the ball. And so because they didn't do anything to like put legislation in place that would regulate this across the board, it's to the Wild West when it comes Mm -hmm. to this kind of money. Which is why we're seeing so much realignment with conferences and things like that. Yeah. I mean all they would have had to have done say five years ago, six years ago is say, okay, here it is. Name, image, likeness. Every school gets essentially a quote-unquote salary cap. You get up to $10 million or whatever number, $5 million, whatever number you want to set. Tied to inflation, right? Yeah, and like then that. you say, yep. okay, Ohio State, you get $10 million. Alabama, you get $10 million. Kent State, if you can figure out a way to get it, you get $10 million. And you allocate it like a general manager has to do for an NBA roster or something like that, or even an NFL roster. You say, well, salary cap. So I have to, I, you know, if I pay a quarterback $3 million, then I don't have as much money to, available to pay the wide receivers, the linemen, or the like, like you could do that. And at least then there would be equity across. But now it's, it's the Wild West. And you can't put that genie back in the bottle. No. How are you going to put that back in the bottle? You're not. Anyway, that's my rant about college football. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. All right. Let's talk NFL. Okay. Your Jets? Uh, yeah. Something. Shockingly, I think. They are made you, are some, you, some sort of deal with uh, with somebody. With with a, a Mormon archangel, maybe? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm... I think we're trying to figure out whether Zach Wilson was just lucky in this game yeah. or whether the Jets, after having handcuffed him for so long, just said, eh, do whatever you want. And he looked like the guy that was – do you remember his uh, BYU pro day where he's rolling right no. and throwing to the left side of the field and then rolling mm-hmm. left and throwing to the right <laughs> side of the field with this incredible cannon of an arm he has? Mm-hmm. He looked like that guy. Okay, Just really slinging the ball out there. And slinging it deep, yeah, um, looked really, really good. Uh, and they won thirty to six, and the score at halftime was zero zero. I saw that. Yes, did you see? I'm sure you probably saw. That. Somebody tweeted out a picture of all the drives in the first half in that game, and it was all punts. Yeah, every drive ended in a punt. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty rare in an NFL game. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it, the Jets' offense was working in that first half, but they were getting to like. The 40 yeah. of the opposing team. The 40. The 40. And then punting. And then punting. Yeah. And it wasn't until the second half when they something happened and they were yeah. able to, to break through and they won uh, They won the game. Can I uh, talk about the Jets beat reporter real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this starts with safety Jamal Adams, who was drafted by the Jets. How long ago, roughly? Uh, this would have been like 2017. Okay. So not too long ago. Yep. Uh, but under the previous regime, uh, he made two Pro Bowls with the Jets in his second and third season. He was then disgruntled and traded to the Seahawks for two first-round picks, which is a fleece job on the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, he made a Pro Bowl with the Seahawks their first year, and he's been garbage ever since. Hasn't made a Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. Been very difficult. He hashtags everything prez anytime he tweets. He's... He's kind of he's always kind of been a little bit of a jerk, 
Well, uh, he's been getting he's been he's looked more like a linebacker trying to play safety than anything. All right. And uh, I guess two weeks ago now, a he got burned by a wide receiver. Ball went over his head. Guy scored a long touchdown on him. Mm-hmm. A Jets beat reporter, who I follow, who I like, mm-hmm. retweeted the video clip and said, "Yikes." Jamal Adams tweets back at the beat reporter a picture of the beat reporter's wife and says, yikes, over it. Okay. Um, Stay classy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the beat reporter did not respond in, in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody is just jumping down Jamal Adams' throat. Like, yeah. Dude, you screwed up. Yeah. You need to apologize. So when the Seattle media gets to him and says, Jamal, what do you have to say for yourself? You know, you tweeted this. This is considered a bad faith movie. He goes, hey, I'm sorry I had to bring her into it. Uh, But when people go low on me, I go lower. Nice. Eh, That's not a great look. (laughs) Nope. Um, This led to more Jets beat reporters going like, yeah, I covered Jamal Adams in that locker room. He was human trash when he was with the Jets. Okay. Not a good person, not well-liked in the building, mm-hmm. arrogant, full of himself. And I mean, this week, Debo Samuel gets a pass over Jamal Adams' head and takes it for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. There must have been 500 <laughs> retweets of it. Yikes. Yeah. Over the top of it. There you go. Human, human scum, Jamal Adams. Wow. Hot take from John Sloat there. I mean, it is kind of petty for the beat writer to tweet what he did. Don't you think? Uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not in any way justifying sure, Jamal sure. Adams' response. Sure. Um, it's a, a little, team he doesn't cover. Right. It's a little petty. Sure. And from what I hear, they did not have a great relationship when he right. was the beat writer and right. he was the safety of the team. Yeah. I mean, that in no way justifies. Yeah. You know, that that's sort of the like um, – the disproportionate response kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, go after his column. Go after his opinion. Yeah. Go after, or, yeah. Do not bring the guy's wife into it. Yeah. Yeah. Stay classy. Stay classy. Uh, I, I think we have to talk about as well uh, the Bills Chiefs game. Yes. I saw this on Twitter. I did not see it live. I, I was at Life Group when uh, the fourth quarter of this game was taking place. So I missed it as well. So I only saw the highlight. Um. First of all, Travis Kelsey's pretty impressive. Yeah. That that play was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was just wild. Now, we haven't we have not shared our opinions about this. We haven't. From the from the video evidence I saw and the photographs I saw, he was offsides. The Kadarius Tony. The the wide receiver, wide receiver. Was, was lined up offsides. Clearly. And I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes, that this erased a play. But he's offsides. Yeah. Like like But isn't part of the dispute like basically from from what I've read, the idea is the receiver and I you see this all the time. The receiver lines check, up checks with the official. Looks to the line judge and basically gets the like, Am I good? You know, I, or yeah. and then that the line judge will say like either give the thumbs up or maybe say like no, like motion him backwards a little yep. bit and then you know. So did that happen? I, I'm not aware that that happened. Okay. That seems there, like it's on the wide receiver then. There seems to be some 
debate about that or whether that happened or whether the official has some responsibility. Like, but from what I can tell, it seems ridiculous. Like he's clearly off sides. Clearly off sides. It's a, yep. It's a penalty. And I'm sorry that it eliminated one of the most, you know, a very well-designed play. Incredible plays we've seen oh, this beautiful. season. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that happens. That's that's football. That's football, now, yeah. This is not a race. I think if NFL officiating has been trashed this year. Mm-hmm. And they've made it they've been throwing the flag a ton more this season and it's been a lot of bad calls. Yeah. All over the place. Inconsistent. Um yeah, it's it's just been bad. Yeah. Um I I think of the Jets against the Chiefs and the uh phantom pass interference call on Sauce Gardner. That was picked off in return. You know, the Jets would have won that game. Yeah, it's the officiating has been widely um widely panned as especially poor this year and inconsistent, yeah. you know. Yeah. But um it has added to the I guess the interest, the intrigue. I mean, look, when you look at the at the playoff standings and, and who's still who's still in the playoff races, like it's a good chunk of both conferences is still yeah. alive. Um but yeah, it's And Philadelphia's falling like a star all of a sudden. I mean, they yeah. lost badly to the 49ers and badly, badly to the Cowboys. Badly to the Cowboys. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um we we got to squeeze this in as well. Um, Shohei Otani in Major League Baseball. Yeah. M- Mr. Two-Way Player. Yep. And he's paid like a two-way player now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was with the Angels. Anaheim. Los yes. Angeles. Yeah. And he's basically moving across town. Yes. To the Dodgers. To the Dodgers. Uh, he signed a 10-year, around $700 million contract. Yes. In my understanding, there's a lot of deferrals in yes. this as well. So, you know, I don't know if – is it in the realm of the Bobby Bonilla deferrals where it's like we're going to pay you $10 million every July 1st for the next 20 years or whatever? I don't know. I, I don't think we know that answer to that question. I'm just wondering if we're going to have a Shohei Otani day. Yes. Although I will say <laughs> there were some jokes on Mets Twitter that the Dodgers have based this contract on the Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, contract. who knows? Who knows? Um, I mean, part of what's crazy is when you consider what the taxation rate is in California. Oh, yeah. Um, that $700 million immediately gets cut in half. Yep. And then if you figure agent fees and other – like out of that, if he's making let's, – let's estimate, right? He, so he's making $70 million a year. Let's just keep the math simple. Do you think he keeps – 30 of that? 25 to 30 of that? Yeah. In terms of take home? Yeah, I thought I think the number was like 31 or 33. So something like that he's going to keep it. Yeah. Um I did see so he and Mookie Betts are now on the same team. Uh Mookie Betts has a $300,000 contract, $300 million contract mm-hmm. and a 700. Their two salaries are more than the Miami Marlins are worth. <laughs> Well, I thought I saw another tweet that was like, maybe it's maybe it's those two, or maybe it was just Shohei's contract is more than like the Florida Marlins payroll for the past like fifteen years combined, or something for their whole team, basically I, some absurd number like that. I did see Shohei Otani seven hundred million dollar contract, uh, Rockies owner worth six hundred ninety nine million, or you know, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like Monopoly money. And who said, oh my goodness, I saw this tweet. I can't remember who said it. Um, but somebody said, yeah, all football players want to be basketball players. All basketball players want to be football players. And both of them want, want to be baseball, baseball money. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, we do need to move on from the sports, but we just need to min- mention a passing. I guess the Lakers won the uh, in-season tournament over the Pacers. Yes. And for the love of God, can we please then get rid of those awful alternate courts? Yeah, those are ugly. They are atrocious. I do not care for them. They are beyond an eyesore. Okay. Get off my lawn. There's my rant. So That's fine. I don't think that's particularly get off my lawn material because I think everybody <laughs> agrees that those are bad. Okay. Okay. Those are I, real bad. I feel better. I I have my curmudgeon now, moments. I'd be okay if they went with the normal courts and used an ABA ball. You know, you know the red. Yeah, that'd yeah, be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, sure. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. All right, you ready to move on, John? Sure. All right, we are continuing our series, our Advent series on um, uh, Old Testament allusions or citations in the uh, nativity accounts uh, in the Gospels, and so. Um, <coughs> That is, uh, that's what we're doing. Today, we are looking at Luke chapter 2. Uh, we've been in Matthew the last couple weeks. Figured we'd share the love a little bit. We'd move it around. Move it around a little bit into Luke. Uh, so we're in Luke 2. I guess you could say, strictly speaking, this is, I mean, post-nativity. I mean, Jesus is already born at this point. Sure, but, sure. But we're going to look at uh, Luke 2. And John, I'm going to have you read... Uh, starting in, let's see, that is verse 22. Okay. And have you go through verse 32. Okay, so 10 verses. That's actually 11, but there you go. Yep, you're right. Uh, Luke 2, 22 uh, to 32. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said, the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ, the Lord's Christ. And he came uh, in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting me, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, there are several Old Testament allusions and even an Old Testament citation in there. Uh, the one we're going to look at is at the very end in verse 32, when uh, Simeon refers to uh, to Jesus as 
a light for revelation for the gen or revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so uh, we're going to look at that. Let's talk briefly a little bit more about the context here in Luke. Uh, so this is after the period of uh, Mary's uh, quote-unquote purification after childbirth, according to the Mosaic law regulations. They are bringing uh, Jesus into the temple. She's giving the offering required uh, of a faithful Israelite woman after uh, giving birth to a child, and uh, in this, in their visit to the temple, they actually encounter two different individuals: Simeon, who we're talking about here, and then the passage goes on to talk about their encounter with Anna. And uh, both of these individuals have been given uh, spirit-inspired uh, insight into the nature of who this child is. So. Uh, in light of that, you get Simeon, is in essence, praying or pronouncing this blessing in the hearing, obviously, of Mary and Joseph. And he refers to this child as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And so this is a an allusion to... Isaiah 49. And so, John, why don't you go ahead and read Isaiah 49. It's going to be difficult here. Let's see. Um, okay. Uh, let's have you read to try to save some time here. Um, well... I think you got to read the whole thing. Read, uh, I you just got to read verses one through six. I think. Okay. Sorry, I, I tried to figure out a way to chop it, but that's okay. Uh, Forty-nine, verse one. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword; in the shadow of His hand He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense uh, with my God. And now... The Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved Israel, the preserved of Israel, excuse me. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends, the end of the earth. Yeah, and so the allusion really comes from that last part there, verse six. Uh, this idea of the servant figure 
being a light of salvation to the Gentiles, but also, if you go a line before that, uh, the calling of the servant is to also bring back the preserved ones of Israel. So this servant has a dual mission mm. to, um, to rescue both a remnant of Jews and to take salvation to the Gentiles. Hmm. Um, now, of course, here in Isaiah 49, uh, we're kind of jumping in to a longer trajectory uh, of this servant figure. Uh, and, and, and wouldn't you say, I think most people, a lot of people, I'll say it that way, a lot of people are probably familiar with the servant figure in Isaiah because yeah. of Isaiah 53. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, a, a good chunk of the evangelical church I'll speak for would often calls Isaiah the fifth gospel, mm-hmm. right? Sort of, sort of this Old Testament gospel that's mm-hmm. there. And I think they're thinking of Isaiah 53 and, and the servant figure who is the suffering servant of yeah. and prefigures Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think what people often don't recognize, though, is that there's a buildup to that suffering servant figure based on what's happening earlier in Isaiah, starting in chapter 40 in particular, mm-hmm. uh, that really in Isaiah 50, sorry, uh, 40 through 53, there is this movement where all throughout this section, the term servant is used in the singular. And there's this question of, well, who does the servant refer to? And so if you look back to Isaiah 42, uh, you know, you get this, uh, one of the so-called servant songs, verse 1, Isaiah 42, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen to whom my soul del- in whom my soul delights. And so you think, oh, okay, sounds interesting. Who is this? I think when you look at the mission of this servant, even though it's spoken of as a singular servant, the description, I think, contextually refers to Israel, Israel as a people. Sure. And they have this mission, verse uh, 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So that's Israel's mission, to be a light to the nations. Mm -hmm. Sounds very similar to what we saw in Isaiah 49.6. Absolutely. And so as Christians, we might read Isaiah 42 and immediately think, oh, this is referring to the Messiah. The problem with that is that when you get to verse 18, it says this, Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? servant, Or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? And so that points you to think this is... (laughs) That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's Israel. (laughs) That's Israel. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to sidestep for now. I have an answer for this. I just don't have time to say it. Okay, okay. That the fact that Matthew quotes Isaiah 42 and applies it to Jesus. I think that connection is based on typology. That's another conversation. In the context— podcast. There you go. Yeah. In the context of Isaiah, this is a reference to Israel as a nation. Isaiah 42 lays out this was Israel's mission. 
Israel fails. They fail. They become like the nations rather than being a light to the nations. And the rest of these next several chapters unpack that until you get to Isaiah 49, where God raises up this new individual servant who's going to obey where the nation failed Mm. and therefore be a light of salvation to the Gentiles, but also to restore the faithful remnant. Yeah. Hmm. And that, of course, makes you ask, how is he going to do that? And then you get to Isaiah 53 and you see, oh, he's the suffering servant. He's going to accomplish this redemption by taking upon himself the punishment that is that the sins of his people deserve. Not just, by the way, the Jewish people, but ultimately also the nations, because when you look at Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13, sorry, verse 14, uh, let's go 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, so that which so that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So basically the mission of the suffering servant is to take upon himself the punishment that his people deserve and exhaust God's curse upon their sin and offer them the uh, basically to rescue them from the uh, the judgment that they deserve, and so that's a lot of background, but I think all that's packed into Luke chapter two. Well, it's I wouldn't say it's all packed in there, but the biblically literate reader sees that and goes, "That's Isaiah forty nine. That's the mission of the servant." So they should be able to connect. Okay, this is the promised servant from Isaiah forty nine, and if they even if they don't know some of the broader context, they're helped when you get to Luke 22. Right before Jesus is going to be arrested, Jesus says this in Luke twenty two thirty seven, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Well, that's a quote from Isaiah 53. Yeah right before Jesus is going to be arrested and crucified. So the biblically literate reader hopefully catches that like, oh, okay, what Simeon is saying back in Luke 2 is now coming to fruition in, paradoxically, the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. And and these aren't, you don't have to read that sentence and go like, oh, I think that's Isaiah. You don't have to have Isaiah memorized in order to do this. You just need a Bible with a bunch of good cross-references in them to, to be That's able right. to do some of this work. That's right. And and go back and forth and read this. I'm also having the idea. I think you need to write an Advent devotional <laughs> around the servant. I think you could do it. I, a daily I'm, devotional around the servant for Advent next year? I don't know. That's not a bad idea. It's not. It's not it's out not, there. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, not out there. No, it's not. Uh, maybe. We'll see. I'm going to need a finder's fee. (laughs) Prepare to be disappointed. (laughs) Prepare to be disappointed. Uh, But, uh, I mean, getting back into Luke 2, though, uh, 
part of what I, I think there's also the cumulative effect that the reader as the as the reader has gotten up to this point, I mean, chapter one of Luke is just chock full of biblical allusions, not a lot of explicit quotations, but just tons of allusions to God's promises to his people in the Old Testament. So that when Simeon comes on the scene and makes this announcement, uh, the reader shouldn't be surprised based on what uh, Zechariah's song has said about John the Baptist, about what Mary's song has said about Jesus, about what the angels have said about Jesus. Yeah. Like None of this should be a surprise at this point. In mm -hmm. fact, by the time you get to here, this should be just kind of take it in stride of like, yep, makes sense. Yep, sure. Okay. But I think Isaiah holds a special place in uh, in Luke's way of thinking about who Jesus is as the servant and what he's going to accomplish because there's a lot of also um, new exodus themes that run throughout Luke and Acts. And in Isaiah, it's the servant who accomplishes the new exodus. He is the one who redeems his people and leads them in this new exodus. Hmm. So to say all of that's packed in Luke 2 is not quite right, but it's one of those things where it's connected to all those things. Yeah, so it's yeah. like it's it's like the you pull a thread out of a, you know, if you've got a, a loose thread on a sweater or something and you think, oh, I'll just pull that. And next thing you know, it's like way longer than you anticipated and it's starting to pull from other parts of the sweater. Like that's what's happening here in Luke 2. Can I ask you about New Exodus? Yeah, sure. Why not? So as I'm looking at this uh, – uh, Simeon quotation here. Um, I'm seeing New Exodus in the in the word salvation. Right. This is this yeah. this is uh, the defining act of salvation for Israel in the Old mm -hmm. Testament. Yep. Uh, obviously, he's talking about a spiritual salvation that's going to take place here um, in the New Testament. Are you seeing other indicators of New Exodus sort of language and things going on here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you uh, can't just drop in. There's New Exodus language here. Without me asking a question. <laughs> sure. Um, well, so uh, if you look at um, – oh, i got to find the reference here. Um, I put you on the spot. This is my fault. No, no, no. You're good. Um, We're outside of Matt's preparation now. No, no, no. no you're fine. Um, I mean if you look at uh, that line in there about um, – in Luke 2 about the um, – all uh, the eye seeing uh, salvation. Read that line again. Yeah, verse thirty. Uh, For my eyes have seen your salvation, and then verse thirty-one that that you have prepared in the presence of all people. There you go. So this is Isaiah uh, fifty-two ten. So right in advance of the servant of of the suffering servant, right? Okay. Isaiah fifty-two ten. The Lord has bared his holy arm. Before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Hmm. So, and that's, you know, that's actually connected back to Isaiah 40 in terms of the idea of, of the Lord bearing his arm, of the arm of the Lord bringing salvation in as part of announcing this new exodus that God's going to accomplish for his people. Hmm. So that's just one of them that's in there. But um, even that language is uh, at least similar to, if we want to be very minimalistic, which you know I'm not, uh, 
when it comes to Simeon's language there in uh, in Luke two. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but that arm language is something that pops up regularly throughout the Exodus of God's strong right arm or mighty yes. arm as yep. it sort of being the de- the delivering force of Israel. It starts as a reference or earlier in Scripture. It is a reference to the Exodus. It's consistently mm-hmm. connected to God redeeming His people through the Exodus, and then Isaiah and other prophets pick it up and say as they talk about this new exodus, yeah. that that same arm or that same right hand that's going to bring this new exodus is the one that brought the original exodus. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. All right. Anything else you want to you explore on that? We probably need to get moving here. I, I would like to explore the Advent devotional <laughs> uh, a bit more. <laughs> All right, I'll get my friend Justin Taylor on the phone. I'd love it. Yeah. All right. Ready to move on? Sure. Time now for This Day in Sports History. All right, This Day in Sports History, December 12th, uh, 2023. Coming down to the bitter end here. It's almost 2024. Yeah, that feels weird. I'm not looking forward to 2024. Yeah. Oh, you have a significant birthday? No. Okay, okay. It's a presidential election year. That's why I'm not looking forward to it. Oh, yes. Uh, we will not be talking about that on the pod. No, we won't. For sure. But, I mean, you want to talk about ratcheting up. You know, It's like putting putting the crazies on blast. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, tell me what happened on December 12th in sports history, John. Yeah, 1965, uh, sh- Chicago halfback Gail Sayers ties an NFL record for most touchdowns in a game with six in the 61-20 to victory over the 49ers at Wrigley. That's a lot of touchdowns. That is a lot of touchdowns. And yet, I mean, that's that only accounts for, I guess, if with extra points, that accounts for 42 points of the 61. So somebody else must have had a good day, too. Yeah, well, they sent in his backup at that point. <laughs> uh, San Francisco couldn't stop the run that I, day, I, I suppose. I guess not. Uh, 1971, Romanian tennis star... Uh, oh boy, uh, <laughs> Ili N- Nastase, Nastasi, I think Nastasi, yeah, uh, finishes ATP Masters Grand Prix with a perfect six and zero record to uh, uh, to win the rich season ending event at uh, a stadium there in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, kudos to her. Nineteen seventy one. Him. Him, excuse me. <laughs> 1976, he said, moving forward. Yep. Uh, quarterback Joe Namath plays his last game with the New York Jets. Yeah. I forget where he went. He played somewhere else after the Jets, did he not? I feel like he did. I don't know where, though. Part of me wants to say Kansas City, but part of me goes, no, that's, that's Montana. That's Joe that. Montana. It could yeah. be. I don't know. Uh, all right, 1984, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, scores 15 points in the Lakers' 131-107 victory over Golden State, making him the first player in NBA history to surpass the 32,000 career points mark. Kareem finishes his career with 38,387 Yep, and was points. just passed by LeBron. LeBron. Yeah. Okay. My goodness. So uh, who do you like out of that? I'm I'm probably on the Gale Sayers train. Okay, I can go with that too. We I don't I don't remember us going. With I Gale don't Sayers. remember Gale do, uh, saying anything about Gale Sayers. Yeah, ever. Yeah, I'm good with that. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. One thing you liked? Oh, goodness. I did not think about this uh, beforehand. <laughs> it's a tough week to come up with one because I was uh, simply locked inside all last week. That's right. Um, uh, truthfully, getting Christmas lights up and uh, getting 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 the house decorated for Christmas this last week was uh, okay. was a joy. So be, being able to – starting to feel the Christmas spirit all right. a little bit uh, was, uh, was so good. So what – Let's do a brief aside here in terms of how how big do you go in terms of the Christmas decorating? We got lights outside the house? Yes. Okay. Do we have anything beyond like the like little like light icicles hanging maybe? Like what what, what do we have outside? Um so this year I did we we have a uh maple tree that sits in our front just right basically right up against our house. Yep. And so we put a string of lights in that, and I got up on a ladder and did that uh, on my first day with COVID, actually. There you go. I, I did that. I hear uh, that's a great way to beat COVID. Yeah, yeah. And then we did we, – we have a little um, uh, basically like wire snowman, but it's made out of sticks. Yep. And we wrap lights around him, and so he's out there. And then we got some – we put some lights in the bushes uh, late this week. Okay. So nothing up on the roof or anything. I see. Um, we have that big evergreen, mm-hmm. uh, that gargantuan evergreen that looks too big to be allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to get a spotlight for it, but I haven't been able to find one. Okay. So I think that would look nice with the spotlight on the yeah. on the evergreen. There you go. And the snow. Yeah. And then inside. Like you got lights in every room practically or like more like just like living room? Like what? More like just living room. So we got, we got a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a – a little lit garland over the fireplace. And then mm-hmm. we have a pretty awesome little staircase with banisters. Yeah. And so we have we have uh, garland and lights all over those. Nice. So that's that's about it. Um, really the only thing I did was the lights in the tree outside. Mm. Okay. Everything else uh, the missus uh, took care of. Okay. And she must enjoy it to do that. She does. Yeah. 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 In fact, the Christmas tree was put up while I was out of town, which was – Lovely. Okay. There you go. There you go. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my one thing I liked is uh, this past Thursday, we had at our church uh, the Sovereign Grace Music Christmas Concert. Lovely. It was great. Uh, So their two Christmas albums regularly get played like perhaps to death in uh, in the Christmas season in our home. Uh, Two of our favorites for sure. And so it was fun to hear those songs performed live and uh, as well as some others that uh, weren't on the album. But um, And it was the band, right? It was the the band, yes. With the artist. Yes. Uh, Bob Coughlin and Gang, yes. Nice. Yes. Um, yeah, they're, they're obviously terrific musicians. Yeah. So. I heard it was a, it was a good-sized crowd. It was. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. So that was my one thing I liked. All right, John, we have talked your office Christmas party. Yep. We have talked the craziness of college football and NFL football. We've talked about uh, the fact that you need to reach out to Shohei Otani and cultivate him as a donor to Grace College. I would learn Japanese (laughs) in order to cultivate him as a donor if you would let me near him. I mean, if you could just get him to give a game check, a check for an inning. 
Yeah, I think it's something like he makes fifty thousand dollars in at bat, or you know, you know, something ridiculous yeah. like that. I can throw you in at bat. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That would provide two thousand dollars a year in scholarship and at bat. Yeah. In our endowment. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we have talked uh, Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles in Luke two, alluding to Isaiah forty nine. We have talked Gail Sayers. We have talked about the Sloat Manor Christmas lighting approach. Which we do more than the Harmons, right? Exterior? Yeah. Exterior, we, we put some lights on a couple of bushes at the entrance, a spotlight on the wreath, some standing like mini trees at the outside okay. for the front door. And we still use... The little globe thing that your oh yeah my that parents your got parents you. got us yeah. years ago that's right stick it in the ground and it projects like up onto the house like snowflakes or different colors or that sort of thing yeah nice yeah so uh, and we have talked about the Sovereign Grace music Christmas concert and so I think by definition we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.